Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and it hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new? It has already been. It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind, for he for in much wisdom is vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. So we're launching this uh, week into a new series together, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. The last Old Testament book we went through, if you recall, was the book of Zephaniah. And that was almost three, uh, three years ago in November, we picked up the book of Zephaniah. Um, we did a series through the, Old the, the Ten Commandments a couple of summers ago, but really we haven't been in the Old Testament too much to just spend some time camping out in the Old Testament. And so we're going to jump back in into a book of the a book, an Old Testament book. And so you might then ask, okay, if we're, we're doing that, why pick Ecclesiastes? And all I have to say to that is that is a great question. Because the more that I've studied it, I've often asked myself, why did I pick Ecclesiastes? Um, but this has been, uh, I'll tell you, that I'll be honest with you, this book has, um, I, I picked up a, a, a contemporary 
commentary uh, on this book when we were going up to, to chemo, um, when Darla was going through cancer treatments, and uh, I took that with me, uh, and it was a great comfort. Oddly enough, Ecclesiastes, as dark and pessimistic as it is in, in one view, it has a, a view that really encourages you to live a, a sober life as we go through our difficult days here on this earth. And so ever since then, a couple of years, I've really just been thinking back and returning to the book of Ecclesiastes. This is arguably one of the most difficult books of the Bible. Um, it, it just it's, it has if you, a lot of bad press. Um, just a lot of people really argue with it and, and don't like it. It's a, it's a genre of literature in the Bible called wisdom literature. And it's typically we classify, there's about three books in the Old Testament that, that qualify as l wisdom literature. The book of Proverbs, the book of Job, and the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, one of those wisdom books is usually greatly loved by people. People love the book of Proverbs. Um, a lot of people have that as one of their favorite books. If they're, and there's plans you can get. Where you read a proverb a day. And so you can just get every month. You can just go through the book of Proverbs and just gain all this wisdom from the book of Proverbs. And the, one, the reason why Proverbs is loved is the exact reason why Ecclesiastes is not loved. <laughs> On the other side, there are like two sides of a coin. Proverbs is loved because it just gives easy understandable answers to life. In fact, if you want to flip back with me, go to Proverbs chapter 3, and we're just going to look at a few places where it just has a ring that you just you can just grab a hold of. Everyone knows Proverbs 3. At some point, you've looked at and memorized or thought on, heard a sermon on Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, but listen to Proverbs 3, 1 through 10. My son, or read it along with me, Proverbs 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. That sounds great. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. That will preach. <laughs> That's something people can hear and get excited about. It's this black and white reality. Honor God and, and you will be honored. Do good and good things will come to you. And we love this message in our culture today, right? Basically, good things happen to good people. We all like to say that as long as good things are happening to us. <laughs> Good things happen to good people. And that's what Proverbs kind of puts forward. That's, it's, it's, it's wise. And, and Proverbs is a good book. It gives us wise ways to govern our life. But if all you read was the, is the book of Proverbs, you'd think that life, and especially life with God, is just this nice, neat, and clean experience. We love God. We do the right things. And everything goes well. 
And isn't that, boy, that's a, that old message will sell. In fact, if you turn on your TV to some Christian television, you'll have that popular mentality. People like Joel Osteen will preach a message like that that basically just tells you, do everything right, follow God, everything will go great for you. And it preaches good and people eat it up. But the problem is that's, that is not the whole picture because it doesn't deal with the reality that we have in this life. And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is for. It's not that Proverbs are wrong, but they are Proverbs. They're, they're wise guides for life. They're not promises for every circumstance. If life is going hard for you and you read Proverbs, you're crushed. Because you think, well, wait a second. Things are going wrong, so obviously I have not bounced it. Everything's my fault. <laughs> That's what Proverbs will, will tell you if that is the only book you take up when things are going wrong. If Proverbs is liked because life is put into these nice orderly categories, Ecclesiastes is disliked because it brings to light all the disorder that we actually see, all the disorder that we actually live with. It brings out those difficult realities and then stares them straight in the eyes. And the reason for studying Ecclesiastes is because the struggles of this life are a reality for the Christian and we need to understand them for a couple of reasons. The first is that there are those who think Christianity is about being good and getting good. Being good and getting good. Do, do good things, good things will happen. Follow God, everything will go well for you. And that is a message that is put out there. And if we are to convert to that kind of Christianity, we are on a collision course with the reality of life. Do good, things will go good. Be good, Things will happen, good things will happen to you. Walk the straight line and God will keep your path straight. And that, that sells for a while until the crookedness of life rears its head and life goes into disorder. So the one reason is because that's a, that's a false bill of Christianity. The second reason is that there is still great suffering and seemingly unfair suffering. One of the beauties of Christianity is it doesn't pretend like that isn't our reality. We don't come up here, we don't open up our Bibles and just get sold some sort of this, this reality that's painted of be good and good things will happen. Christianity addresses this reality. It doesn't shy away from the reality that we live in a broken world. We live in a world where things don't always go the way that you want them to. We live in a world where the righteous do suffer and the wicked sometimes prosper. Look, look as well at this other uh, wisdom book, Job chapter 21. Just Job is a, whew, that's a fun read. But Job 21, he, he, he brings up this idea. This is what Job is, is talking about. The wicked, wicked do prosper. Job answers, this is to his friends. He says, keep listening to my words and let this be your comfort. Bear with me and I will speak. And after I have spoken, mock on. As for me, is my complaint against man? Why should I not be impatient? Look at me and be appalled and lay your hand over your mouth. When I remember, I am dismayed and shuddering seizes my flesh. Verse seven, why do the wicked live, reach old age and grow mighty in power? Their offspring, the offspring of the wicked, their offspring are established in their presence and their descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear, and no rod of God is upon them. Their bulls breed without fail. Their cow calves, their cow calves, and does not miscarry. They send out their little boys like a flock, 
and their children dance. They sing to the tambourine and the lyre and rejoice to the sound of the pipe. They spend their days in prosperity and in peace they go down to Sheol. Job is this righteous man. He's lost all of his property, lost all of his possessions, lost all of his children. And then he's lost his health. He's suffering with boils. And we know the backstory to that in Job chapter 1 that he's not aware of. But he's asking this question. Why is this righteous man suffering so severely? But the wicked, they have all kinds of fun. Everything goes well for them. They have all kinds of children. They go down in peace and happiness. Verse 14, they say to God, depart from us. We do not desire the knowledge of your ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we get if we pray to him? Behold, is not their prosperity in their hand? The counsel of the wicked is far from me. And it goes on. You read the rest of the chapter. It's just highlighting this reality and this contrast, this thing we wrestle with in the Christian life. The wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. And what's up with that? What are we to do in this reality? Life is hard. Life is full of struggle. And Christianity is put forward not as the easy fix, not how you get what you want in this life. It's not put forward as some simple solution to the problems you don't like. Christianity is not offered as the simple fix. It gives us the truth. What makes Christianity so powerful is not its ability to cloud your eyes to how hard life is or to pretend like things are okay. What makes it so powerful is it addresses all of these things head on and it gives us the truth about reality, the truth about who God is, the truth about life as it is on this earth, the reality of a creation that has gone through a fall and the reality of a savior who has come to rescue us. It doesn't give us simple fixes some pragmatic, practical application. Here's how you make your life better in today's whatever. It gives us the truth. Adding to the difficulty is the conclusion that we come to in reading Ecclesiastes. It isn't really written to give us any answers. Another reason why Ecclesiastes is disliked, there aren't really very many answers within the book. The job of the writer of Ecclesiastes is one of a philosopher, an apologetic and the way that he addresses the problem is not by just trying to put on some Band-Aid answer. He crawls deep inside this difficult reality that we all live in and exposes it for what it really is. People regard this as a pessimistic and dark book, and in a way, I suppose it is, but it's written from this pessimistic perspective and embodies it so that we would ask the right questions about our life. Why are we such dissatisfied people? Why are we such dissatisfied people? Why do, we, why do all the things we long for always end up disappointing us in the end? The, the, the vacation, I mean, we do this every year and I love to do it, but, but we, we get home from vacation basically and Disney World sends us the next thing. Hey, in, in March of 2020, you'll be back. I'm like, well, that's 10 months away, but we start planning for it. We start planning for it. And then pretty soon, you know, you're, we're a week out and I always, you know, we'll, we'll put a chain up this many days at Disney World and Darla, we're three weeks out. And I say, yeah, and we're four weeks from being home. <laughs> we're, we're three weeks from being at Disney World and we're four weeks from being home. And no matter how much you look forward to something, in the end, it always has a tinge of just not being all the, you know, you just, you build it up as this big romantic thing and it just falls short. Why do we work so hard to achieve something only then to realize how empty it really is? 
We have that perpetual kid on Christmas Day experience, right? No matter how great that gift is, eventually there's that letdown of, oh, this isn't, this isn't everything. Why are we such dissatisfied people? How can we make, in our existence today, how can we make so much time for fun and entertainment and yet be so bored and unhappy? You think about that? All that our technology has provided for us and all this leisure that is supposed to be giving my generation, all of these trips, all of these things we plan, all of these eases, all of this excitement, all of this fun and, and happiness that we plan, and yet we are the most bored and unhappy people. Why is that? What is going on? And these are the questions that the writer of Ecclesiastes is dealing with them. But he addresses them in a very unique way doesn't just go from making quick and easy answers. He digs down deep into the futility of this pursuit. He keeps his gaze held into the darkness and futility of life under the sun. So we start the book. There's a couple of definitions we need to understand to, to feel the weight of the book. And the first word we need to get a handle on is the word that means there is no handle. <laughs> You were trying to get a grasp a hold of this word, and what it basically means is there's nothing to grasp onto. And it's the word translated vanity here in our ESV. Some translations say meaningless or futility. Um, the vanity not meaning the thing you sit in front of to put your makeup on, or vanity as in the person who's over uh, concerned about the way they look, they have their, they're full of vanity. Vanity is this Hebrew word hevel, and it, it means mist or vapor, breath. And so you, you see where this idea comes in Ecclesiastes. He's saying everything is, is, is mist. It's, it's vapor. It's, it's smoke. It's, it's there. But the minute you try to grab onto it, it's, it's gone. If you, if you try to grab a handful of smoke and put it in your pocket, you've got empty pockets. And that's everything. Is just, it's, just, it's there but it's so hard to grab a hold, to, hold of. It's futility, meaningless. It's the same thing that is written about like in the book of James where he talks about our life is a vapor. We are a vapor, a mist quickly vanishing. Or as you hear every week here, uh, as I get done reading the scripture, I say, uh, the, uh, gosh, I can now, now I've drawn a blank. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. That comes from first end of 1 Peter 1 and also Isaiah chapter 40. And the context of that passage is that man is like a vapor. We're a mist. We're vanishing. Our life is just a mist. But the word of God stands forever. That's that term. Everything is vanity, fleeting, mist. The more we try to grab a hold of it, the more that it disappears. He starts out, Ecclesiastes 1-2, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And the book ends at the end. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 8. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. He's going to take us through all of his pursuits, searching for wisdom, searching for wealth, searching in women, searching in work, Searching, climbing every conceivable ladder of success. Leaning this ladder up against the wall. Climb this ladder and see if it works. Leans the next ladder. Let's climb this ladder and see if it works. And he climbs all these ladders of success that we still today think we've got to climb. Climbs these ladders of success, gets to the top, and he comes back down to say, I've looked over the edge and there's nothing there. There's nothing there. All your climbing is vanity. All your climbing is meaningless. Stop climbing. There is no point. 
There is no joy. Climb, climb, climb. Work, work, work. Pursue, pursue, pursue. Seek for joy, seek for joy, seek for joy. And there's nothing there. There is no fulfillment there. There is no real reward. That is the glorious message of the book of Ecclesiastes. Everything's pointless. Everything's meaningless. Okay, thank you for chuckling at that because like, boy, Darren, all right, we're really having an encouraging, that, that's the message of Ecclesiastes. Driving you, that's why people say it's a pessimistic book. I've read some people think it's a heretical book because of the message that, that he brings, how, how dark this message is. There's another term we've got to consider back in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Under the sun. What does man gain for all the toil, all the ladders he climbs under the sun? What does he gain? And it's a great question. The answer is still a dark one. It's that, no, there is no reward. There is no gain. There is no real gain. He goes on to talk about, you can amass the biggest wealth you have, and work, your, work yourself to the bone to, to get a huge bank account, and then what? You die and all your money goes to somebody else who didn't deserve it. What do you gain for all your toil? Nothing. Under the sun. And the term under the sun is one we should pay attention to. What he's acknowledging is this perspective of life on this earth with no reality above it. If this life is all there is, if this is all there is, if, if, if all we have is what's under the sun and there's no transcendent being above the sun, this is pointless. Everything is meaningless does life have any meaning under the sun? Does our toil gain us anything? Does our suffering mean anything? Does our righteousness mean anything? If all we have is what's under the sun, and the answer is no, it does not. It's why Ecclesiastes is such a contemporary book. If you're a true naturalist, if you believe that we came out of the soup and just kind of at a cosmic accident, we're all here because things hit each other and have then evolved and grew and all of a sudden here we are. If you're a true naturalist, life on this planet is just the coincidence of molecules crashing together, then all you have is this life. There's no transcendent reality. It wasn't designed by anyone. It's just an accident. Then all you have is life under the sun. You must then fill this life with as much meaning as possible. All of your joy is just found right here. All your, all your success, all your happiness, all the meaning is just found right here. But that naturalistic view has a major problem. The end of this understanding of life is just the biggest mess as it was when it started. We go from the big bang to the big rip. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then look it up. It's interesting. If we go from the big bang, we go to the big rip, when everything, the universe expanding and accelerating out from itself, still accelerating out, eventually it's going to get spread so far out that space-time itself, the, the physicist theory, is just going to just split and everything's going to be ripped apart. But don't worry, you're not going to make it to the big rip. The planet Earth will make it to the big rip because in a short five billion years, <laughs> Our sun's going to turn into a red, red, uh, red giant star. And it's going to consume our planet, turn into a, a hunk of black coal. Uh, the Mercury and Mar Venus will be gone, and Earth will just be roasted. It's just a short five billion years. You say, well, five billion, we got plenty of time. But think about it. In that time, when that happens, 
No monuments left. No persons remembered. I don't care how great you were. You aren't remembered. Everything will be gone. We will have come from nothing. We're going to nowhere. And if that's the reality, then we're nothing right now. We're nothing right now. Then all of our work, all of our toil, all of our hard, all, our, all of our earning is going for nothing. If we're from nothing, going nowhere, then the result is then we're, we are nowhere. And, and, not, and nothing means anything. If life under the sun is all there is, truly everything is meaningless. That's what Ecclesiastes is getting after. It's diving deep into that dark reality. If life under the sun is all there is, truly everything is meaningless. I pull this out. Kay gave this to me. Some of you might have it. This is the list of all the ministers of the First Christian Church since 1868. Who remembers Darren Dolacek? No one? I'm right here. Who remembers Darren Dolacek? All right. Who remembers Chris Conklin? Karen Moore. John Azebrillo. Bill Gardner. Phil and Doris Kenton. Larry Squire. Some of you know him still. Gene Park. W.M. Knight. Dave Barnes. Howard Wakelin. I've heard that name. Howard Wakelin. Clyde Mosier. Harold Reel, W.S. Johnson. Anybody? W.S. Johnson? We're only here in the list. We got all of this left to go. Clyde Blanchard, W.R. Foster, Reverend Carter, Robert Wilson, L.C. Swan, Van Dusen, E.W. Bowers, O.M. Johnson, Thomas Watson, L.C. Swan, C.E. Wells, J.L. Stevenson, E.B. Cross, N.G. Brown, M.A. Jackson, H.G. Hammond, A.M. Collins, J.P. Martinsdale, J.C. White, J.P. Lucas, W.M. Glad, John Sconce, Porter, A.G. Garrison, F.M. Bruner. All of these people, where are they? I've forgotten. If life under the sun is all there is, everything is truly meaningless. People who've given their life. I have this document that uh, Bill gave me. Here's the founding members of this church, the families who, uh, charter members of this church. The Sconce family, Gulick, Donahoe, Pritchfield, Baker, Foster, Radcliffe, Beal, Colby, Stout, Roby, Stuck. There's a name that's still around, kind of stuck. Kirby, Rains, Sellards, Berkey, Elliot, Gray, and Cheryl. How many of those names even still exist in Mount Air? If, 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 if life under the sun is all there is, we are in a world of hurt. We're in a world of hurt. That's what Ecclesiastes is trying to drive us down into, this dark reality, so that we desperately start saying, oh boy, I better find meaning somewhere, or it gets real dark real fast. And that's where Ecclesiastes take us. So now we say, oh, Darren, I'm not a naturalist. I believe in God. Of course, I believe in a transcendent reality that gives meaning to life. And that's good. I'm glad you say so. But the question is, I think if we sit down and contemplate our desires and our disappointments, we might find out that functionally, we're very much naturalists. We affirm that there is a transcendent God, but when it comes down to our day-to-day -day existence, we still operate like the writer of Ecclesiastes, thinking that our satisfaction and our joy and our pleasure is going to be found in these things under the sun. We may know our joy isn't found there, but how often do we spend our time trying to find it here, and how often are we wrecked with disappointment when we don't find it here? The goal of this book is for the reader to gain wisdom and understand the emptiness of pursuits of joy and things under the sun disconnected from the creator. 
Things go on and on. The sun goes down, comes back up. It's what Ecclesiastes is saying. Rivers go to the sea, but they never stop running. The wind blows, but it just keeps going around. On and on life goes. And it's progression. Monday rolls around. You ever realize that just Monday just keeps happening? <laughs> it's Monday again. Here we are back at it. Monday, put on my blue uniform. It's Monday. Here we go. But not, not tomorrow. But generally, you know, Monday is just around again. School, here we go. School starts again. Supper starts, you know, every, every night my family wants fed supper. And believe it or not, the next day, guess what? We're all waiting around. And one of the first things I asked Dar was for supper. And she thinks, every, do you ask every day? Yes. And then, and then you sit there and you cook supper. And then what happens? The dishes are there. So you work hard, you wash the sink full of dishes. And what happens? It just returns. There's more dishes in the sink. Things just go on and on and on and on. And none of it, all of that supper cooking, all of that dish cleaning, all of those school starting, all of those Mondays when you get up and go to work, if, if we're from nothing, going nowhere, you're doing all of that for nothing. If, it's, if, if all we have is life under the sun, you're doing all of it for nothing. Think of how much work our ancestors, the people of this church, put in to make this church possible, to make life possible. And how many of them do we even remember or know? If their work was just for life under the sun, what was it worth? We can't comprehend that reality. If life under the sun is all there is, it is right to despair and to give up. Now, the difficult part of Ecclesiastes, there aren't many answers within the book, but we can get glimpses. If you still have your Bible open, just lastly, Ecclesiastes 12.1 says this, remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, which you'll say, I have no pleasure in them. What does he call them to? Remember your creator. That's why I have subtitled this series, Embracing Life as Creatures. Understanding, if there's no one above the sun, then we are truly the creators of our own future. It's all up to us. Life is truly meaningless. And what we learn from the rest of Scripture is that there is purpose. There is a meaning. There is a reason. But the creature does not create it. We live in it. We don't create it. We live in we live in our Father's world. It is His world. And we find ourselves in it. Not those who are making it, but those who are living in it. If we are all there is, if we are the masters of our universe, then nothing means anything and everything is truly vanity. But if there is someone above the sun, someone with a purpose and a mission, then everything is filled with immense purpose and meaning. If He is there then everything matters. Everything is filled with meaning. Then the Monday morning does have purpose. Then the supper does have meaning. Then laboring here at this church and giving your life and dying and being forgotten does matter. If there is someone above the sun. Changing diapers does matter. If there's someone above the sun. If it doesn't, then, it doesn't, then all of it's for naught. But going to work day after day Staying out till midnight, digging out water pipes and fixing them, and then getting up at six o'clock to fix roads. If this is all there is, it's pointless. But if God is there, everything is filled with meaning and purpose. And we need to find ourselves embracing life as creatures means finding ourselves happy to be His in His 
world. There is someone above the sun. He has rescued sinners through the work of Jesus Christ. And because of this, everything matters greatly and everything will one day be revealed to be part of his glorious work for his glory and our eternal joy. Everything then truly matters. May we have eyes to see it and hearts glad in him as his creatures. What are, what are our pursuits of joy apart from our creator? Where are we searching under the sun for our fulfillment and coming up empty? As long as we entertain our pride as the creators of our own existence and our own fulfillment, we'll be frustrated. But when we see and embrace the reality that we are simply creatures in his cosmos, we will then know the restoration found in Jesus Christ and then every moment of life shines with meaning. Let's pray. Father, I ask for your help as we have contemplated very heavy things this morning. I pray, Father, that you would help us to have a sober approach to this life. There are too many hard things. Life is full of too many sorrows, too many things that are, that are very confusing and don't make any sense. Life is full of too many despairing things under the sun. And I pray that you would help us now this morning as we come to communion, confessing our transgressions, looking to Christ as our Savior, that you would help us to see and give us a gladness that we would truly embrace our life as your creatures. Our life is not our own. We were bought with a price. Therefore, we glorify you in our bodies, enjoying you above all other joys that this under the sun life tries to give us. Help us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.